What's good? It's your boy, the Timmy Theus of Unnecessary Flying Neus. Oh, that one was terrible. This is Chard with the Spokes and Chokes podcast. We are coming at you on the October 26th, 2022. It's my birthday, actually. I am 29 years old and exploring new ventures in life, such as speaking into a microphone for extended periods of time for no reason. We're going to recap the fight card over the last weekend, UFC 280, the Khabib show, basically. Um, It seems everywhere you looked, it doesn't matter what the fight was about. Like, people were talking about Khabib. People were referencing Khabib when they were talking about TJ versus Sterling. Like, it was positively absurd. But, uh... Speaking of that, we're going to go straight into the Khabibiest of the Khabib fights, and that is Oliver Makachev. I know previously I talked about doing the format going, you know, from the bottom of the card to the top, the same direction you you watch it in, but I don't want to bore you all with all the garbage before we get to something at least halfway decent, which there is a lot of garbage on this card. Um, so we got to work our way through it, and let's start nicely with the cool stuff. And we're going to start with Oliver Makachev. And kind of as expected, it was a bit of the um, Tony versus Khabib, but very different sort of fight. Except our Tony, our, our Tony type is a little more prone to slowing down or gassing. And then our Khabib type is a little bit less dominant in the wrestling, but has better hands. Um, not This doesn't necessarily hit harder, but just has better hands. Um, and it kind of played out... It was weird. And so let's just jump right into it. Round one, Charles comes out, flying kick, you know, flying front kick, Verdum style, because why the hell not? And... Uh, they have a brief striking exchange, which, you know, hard to say who's doing better. Islam definitely landed some hard stuff um, as Charles was being a little reckless, as he tends to do in the first round of his fights as of the over the last couple of years. But then Charles awkwardly, like, kind of clinches up and more or less pulls guard. It was definitely let it's it. You make you wonder, was it a matter of wanting to see how it was going to go? If he was on bottom, or if he wanted to just enter the grappling exchanges on his own terms, it was definitely a weird choice, but um, at the same time, I kind of have to respect it to a degree. Definitely being like, oh, you never, you don't want to do that, and then he's like, ah, let's give it a try, let's just see what happens. So Charles basically pulls guard, and starts, you know, tries to get the armbar, tries to, like, make some stuff happen, but ultimately, Islam's hips are really good. He has great balance. And is able to keep Charles on the bottom. And able to keep Charles relatively under control for the most part. And gets him back into just like a guard position. Charles, he... Basically, once he's been under for a while and realizes that it's like... Not really... He's not able to create as much movement or as much scrambling um, as he would like. Then he ends up slipping down to half guard... And um, he goes to deep half, which 
he actually doesn't get the underhook to do. He just kind of straightens his arm and like kind of slips it in. So he gets down to deep half. And then once it gets to deep half, he's able to he's able to pivot and come up on a back body lock and actually starts pushing Islam against the fence and starts working, you know, starts working some punches and starts trying to work the body, lands a, a couple of good knees. But then once he's done that for a little bit, he throws a knee and as he's planting the knee back down, he's leaning to the side that he threw the knee on. And because his weight's on that side, Islam is able to trip that leg right as it gets back to the ground from throwing the knee and just bundles him over with a great, basically like a hip toss of sorts. Um, comes all the way around, ends up on top in side control. Charles regains full guard pretty quickly. And uh, they just have a, a quick exchange for the rest of the round that's basically like Charles trying to throw some strikes and Islam uh, doing the same from on top with punches and elbows. And uh, they separate a little bit towards the end because Islam wants to posture up and like throw better stuff. And Charles throws some up kicks and he throws starts throwing some elbows. Really starts to look good for him towards the end of that round, but then it's cut short as the bell bell rings. And then the second round, Charles actually does a great job of defending the early takedown attempts in the second round. Um, seems to look relatively fresh. Not too bad. Doesn't seem to be, like, gassing bad. Um, but one thing that becomes a clear issue, although he has some success with it, uh, Charles stops throwing body kicks and stops throwing really much else other than just straight punches. Um, he kind of, his posture changes, his kind of shoulders come down, he kind of hunches over a little more, and he has a little bit more of like a boxer stance, and uh, starts throwing punches. Clearly, he's he's preparing himself for more takedown attempts. And the second you see that happening, you're like, oh boy, we'll see how this goes. But it started to work for him, and he was landing good strikes, and they were having a a, a interesting exchange on the feet and then charles decides that it would be a a great idea to just do a jumping to do a jumping knee in punching range he just kind of instead of like flying in with forward movement for a jump knee like a lot of people do um especially if it's a switch knee like the one he did where you kind of jump up with one leg and then switch to the other leg to act to actually throw the knee with. Um, normally, when people do those, you're gonna go from outside of like kicking range and you're kind of kind of lunge in and throw them. Um, whereas Charles just kind of he was more or less stationary and tried to jump straight up and throw the knee. And so when he landed, he was right in range for Islam's lead hook, and it was a lead right hook and it just dropped him, and. Well, yeah, he like, as he got to his back, he started like trying to throw up up kicks and things like that. Um, he always does a great job of looking less out of it than he is when he gets knocked down. And Islam just takes advantage of Charles throwing the up kicks, grabs the, grabs the ankles, throws them to the side, drops straight down into side control. And then as he drops into side control, he puts his head pressure straight to the mat as quickly as he can on the opposite side of Charles' torso so that he can work his head up under the armpit and get in, th get in there and try and work for the arm triangle. He gets the arm triangle, 
and then knee cuts his way over in him out and Charles clearly still out of it. He tries to, to rotate out and the squeeze is already too tight. Um, like he doesn't have the wits about him to try like, you know, where you curl up and you like do the answer of the phone, uh, defense for the arm triangle. It's just, it got in there too quick and he was still too rocked for it to work. And, uh, ultimately the, you know, he squirms for a little bit and then taps and ultimately Islam becomes champ. It was definitely not, it wasn't the blowout that a lot of people expected either way. Because a lot of people were thinking like, okay, this fight, however it's going to go, is going to be one-way traffic. Whether it be Charles getting a crazy KO or Islam just like smashing him. There was actually a lot of back and forth. And I would be very interested to see how a rematch would go. And definitely interested to see how, if Isl- if Charles would take a more measured approach and be a little more cautious. Um Obviously, the next fight for Islam is going to be the Alex Volkanovsky fight, which who the hell knows how that's going to go. I mean, Volkanovsky is so like, yeah, he's stocky as shit, but he's also quite small. Like he is a his rate, his reach. I actually I think his reach is about the same as Islam's. But because he's so much shorter, it makes Islam's effective reach longer because I mean, shit, basically Alex is head is going to be at islam's shoulder height so he gets his full range without really after having to like punch up or punch down whatever so the range becomes an issue as well as the leg kicking range which leg kicking is a massive massive weapon for alex when you're that much shorter than a guy it makes that much more difficult to do effectively now alex being so squat makes him incredibly difficult to wrestle because he's basically just like a meatball. So that's going to be in his favor. But um, it's definitely, it's a tough one. It's it's definitely going to be an uphill battle for Alex. So I'm while I'm tentatively excited to see that one, it's definitely interesting to see that that's like, that's kind of where everybody just went like, okay, yes, that's the fight that's happening. So we'll see how that goes. That'll be interesting. Obviously, what's next for Charles? I'm sure he wants to stay busy. I'm sure he wants to get back in there and make something happen. I would say get Benil in there with uh, with Charles while Islam is busy doing the Alex Volkanovsky thing. And then have the winner of Benil and Charles fight for the belt again. And, you know, those two. It's not like Charles got dominated. I'm sure there are going to be some people that'll say that's what happened, but let's be real here. Charles wasn't dominated. It was a back and forth fight. There was a lot of interesting things that happened and uh, it just didn't go his way. And it was the sort of thing where like a Charles Oliveira fight is not a fight that's ever going to last very long. Whether he wins or he loses, it's going to be a quick night. And uh, I think there was enough interesting stuff to happen there that I would love to see a rematch. Just for the intrigue of like how each fighter is going to adapt. I doubt Islam would change too much, but I'm sure there are definitely some adjustments that they would want to make. And then Charles, he has so many directions he could go. He could be try to be more measured. He could try to be more slow, or he could try to be even crazier. You know, who knows? So that one intrigues me. Uh, 
but the Volkanovsky fight obviously comes first. And if Volkanovsky wins, then it's a whole other can of worms. Who the hell knows what that's going to bring? Moving on, we got TJ versus Sterling. Uh, Dillashaw, it's an unfortunate thing because their styles clashing was going to be really interesting. And I really was like, this was the fight that I was kind of most excited for out of everything. Um, just because their styles are so interesting together and there it's it's a bantamweight fight like there's it's always going to be exciting and or interesting and uh tj coming back i mean i said last week the biggest question was is tj's body going to hold up because his last fight with Corey sandhagen like yeah he technically won it but he had a hard time and he had an injury in the middle of he had a knee injury in the middle of it and so i was like man like is tj going to be too old is his body going to start falling apart like what's going to happen and then sure enough tj's shoulder is just wrecked and it's one and he had double shoulder surgery so one of the shoulders that he had surgery on is just still garbage and to the point where i mean god it popped out it was popped out before he even hit the mat on the first takedown like you watch the slow motion footage like you literally see him falling and going and like reaching his arm back to post and I think actually reaching his arm back to post before he even touched the ground with that arm popped it out. Like, it's bad. That shoulder is fucked. And the crazy thing is, TJ, like, it shows how intriguing this fight could have been if TJ was healthy. Because it took so long for Sterling to get the finish on a guy with one arm. Like... Sterling wasn't able to finish him in the first round, and TJ was, like, obviously in some serious trouble trouble the entire first round. Easy 10-8. Just desperately trying to hold on and not get finished so that he could pop it back in in between rounds. And managed to succeed, got back to the corner, popped it in, and then second round comes out and almost immediately pops his shoulder back out again like i think he like threw a single punch or something and the shoulders back out again like that thing is so fucked and it's such a bummer because it it, it really was a incredibly intriguing matchup and honestly stylistically it favored tj and on the feet tj with one arm with only a, with only his lead hand to jab with on his in this case it would have been his right side he was using he was using a southpaw stance um tj was able to land lead jabs and lead hooks that were effective despite his left arm barely even being able to hold his hand anywhere near his face so it's like you look at that and you go, man, like, if TJ's body wasn't falling apart, this would have been an amazing fight. And it also, it, it casts a little bit of doubt on Sterling's ability to have any kind of longevity at the top. Just because you would expect a champion that had the potential to be dominant to be able to put away a guy with one arm a lot faster. So that fight... There's not really a lot to say about it technically. It's just like a bummer. And TJ had a great attitude coming out of it. I think I think TJ, he's painted as a villain a lot. And I think 
if you actually look at it and you go like, okay, like, yeah, he did EPO so that he could try so that he would have better cardio, not for the fight, but for weight cutting, like literally so that because he was desperate to make the weight, he was like, well, if I can do, if I do this, I can stay on the treadmill longer and sweat more. Like it was an absolutely insane decision to try and do that. Where it's like, if you have to artificially make your body sweat more so you can cut more weight, then yeah, you're going to be chinny as hell. So it's like, yeah, of course he lost against Cejudo in that fight. Like, it's just mad decision making. But he was like, you know, when he got caught for it, he was like, yep, here's why I did it. It was a terrible decision. I'll, I'll do my time. And so he just kind of took it like a man, did his thing, and it's like, People still try to vilify and be like, yeah, but you still did steroids. And it's like, yeah, like, guess what? Most people in MMA do. Most people in the UFC do. Like, if you genuinely believe that William Knight is not juiced to the gills, then you are blind and an idiot. Like, just look at pictures of William Knight and look at the, look at the, like, look at how much he's lifting. And, like, you can't tell me that guy's not doing stuff. And the same can be said for a ton of other fighters. That's like, that's not realistic. That guy is ridiculously jacked and definitely doing stuff. Because USADA is not actually that comprehensive. USADA, you can be missing. You can have your like, um, you know, you have to have your location disclosed to them at all times so they can randomly test you. And... But if you can be missing three times, you can, like, have them show up and you're not there, like, three times in a year. And some people don't even get tested three times in a year. So, like, if you're on, especially if you're not at the top of the card, if you're not, like, a Jerry Prohaska or somebody like that that's, like, getting tested all the time. Which is very weird that Jerry Prohaska is the most tested guy in the UFC right now. I mean, you you look at him and you're like, yeah, he's like a big, big, muscly, like, monstery guy. But also, like, is he really your top priority on who you should be testing the most? On who you really think you're going to catch juicing? Like, you really think it's going to be Jiri? Um, if anything, like, somebody like Mateusz Gamrot who had that fight with Sarukian, where they both kept up an unbelievable pace for five rounds, where Sarukian, you can say like, oh, well, he's young. That's why he was able to do it. Because he's like, what, 23 or something. But Gamrot is, you know, in his early 30s and was able to do that. I don't know. I'm just saying, the, the idea that TJ should be labeled a villain because he's been caught for PEDs before is kind of silly, especially considering his attitude surrounding it. I mean, look at Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero somehow managed to win a court case against the UFC based on tainted supplements or whatever. But you can't tell me that Yoel Romero has not juiced and has not juiced while his during his time in the UFC. That guy is like a physical, like the joke surrounding Paolo Costa of his, you know, his secret juice, um, which I find hilarious. Like Paolo Costa is turning into a very endearing figure 
just on his like silliness sat now that he's kind of bounced back from that uh adesanya loss and all his excuses surrounding that and all that sort of stuff and now he kind of makes fun of himself for the excuses he was making um paulo costa has become this like endearing figure and like his secret juice is a big joke but it's like you can't tell me that guy hasn't at least part of his tenure in the ufc been a juicy boy um so it's there's a lot of hypocriticalness because people hate him so much based on the feud with team alpha male and cody garbrandt and uri faber and all that stuff um which I don't think he t- necessarily deserved. I think Dominic Cruz comes across as way more of a dickhead than TJ Dillashaw. Um, but that's personal opinion. Anyway, TJ, after the fight, um, and after you know his, both of his shoulders pop, shoulder popping out twice in a fight, like crazy to see that happen. Um, and it's also nice to see that uh, Dwayne Ludwig wasn't just yanking on his arm trying to get it back in like he was massaging the shoulder like trying to you know trying to have it hang to one side and kind of kind of swivel it around um doing you know the proper things you want to do to get a shoulder to pop in correctly and in a ways that are not necessarily the most time friendly but are the correct way to do it to not cause more damage it's nice to see that um Obviously, after supposedly the 20th time popping out in training, you're not going to keep just yanking on that arm because you know it's fucked already. So you don't want to double fuck it. You see that, and then TJ, after the fight, he goes, yeah, man, like, I'm sorry to hold up the division. I thought I might, you know, I had to really just get in here and try it and hope that it didn't pop out. And, you know, he had a good attitude about it where he was like, yeah, I'm sorry I held up the division time for you guys to move on i'm gonna try and get my shit fixed blah 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 um so it was it was a it was a wholesome thing and then you see aljo kind of being a bit of a shit about the whole thing where he's like well i didn't even notice i was just like fighting him uh i think i had a big part to do with the shoulder popping out and it's like well if you watch the footage he definitely the sh- the times you see because it's it was very obvious like you could see his like clavicle sticking out like his sh- when his shoulder was out it was like crazy how much it visually changed i've seen a lot of shoulders popping out popped out in my time um as a bmx rider and especially having um, my buddy jamie had a bad shoulder for a long time and it would pop out a lot like it's not always obvious when a shoulder is popped out and TJ's was really obvious. And uh, so when you see that and you see the times that it popped out, where if you go back and watch that fight, especially the slow motion footage and uh, in between rounds, things like that, when you watch that fight over, you'll see the times that it pops out actually does have nothing to do with what Aljo's doing. Um, so it's just, uh, Aljo's just, being he's kind of leaning into people disliking him for his dq win and it's like man like you can't do that unless you're cool with being a villain 
Because if you're not cool with being a villain and you want people to like really like you and like, or at least like you want to be an endearing figure of sorts, like just, (sighs) it's just sad to see him because I bet Aljo in person, just talking to him about normal life things, I bet he's a really likable guy. He's just coming across as a bit of a shit right now. Um, Especially like talking with that fucking Andrew Tate guy and being a little too friendly with him. And like, you know, the, obviously the most controversial thing of is Andrew Tate being like, Oh yeah. Like women need to dress more conservatively because they need to do their part to prevent their own rapes and like all that sort of bullshit. And you're like, I get it from one perspective. Cause it's like, well, you can't expect evil people to stop being evil but also ideally you would hope in a modern world and all this stuff that a uh, you wouldn't necessarily have to change your lifestyle because you're afraid of rape being a very real thing and being like well i better dress as conservatively as possible because an evil man might get horny like that's a fucked up thing to have to do and to encourage that as a necessity just makes you come out to be a fucking horrible monster. And Andrew Tate does all that sort of shit, says a lot of controversial things, a lot of which are things I very much disagree with. And Aljamain Sterling takes some pictures with him and then gets asked about those comments and he goes, oh yeah, sure, like, yeah, I agree with that. And it's like, dude, like stop digging yourself a hole if you want to be liked do things that'll help you to be liked like (sighs) like especially when your opponent especially if tj is like being as like as cool about the loss as he can as he is like do you really need to like shovel dirt on the grave of a guy who walked into it voluntarily um yeah it's just like it's just rough man but then, let's move on to a much better bantamweight fight. Actually, the best night of the best fight of the night by a long way was Piotr Jan and Sean O'Malley. And man, Sean O'Malley really showed up and showed what he's made of, and it was great to see him really like get to show and honestly learn himself just how gritty and determined he can be and really show that he's not just a he's not just a publicity stunt you know sean o'malley is showing that yes there is a real fighter in there that has real guts and real determination and it definitely you see in the post fight with him and you know the interviews and stuff where it's like he had never been to that place before He had never been to that level of getting beat down and really having to grit through things and really having to show and really having to like become the strong fighter that he needs to be to make something work. Um, So it was awesome to see. Uh, Sean showed a lot of toughness, took a lot of hard shots from Jan in this fight. There was a lot of back and forth striking in this fight. And uh, 
ultimately, I think O'Malley landed the harder stuff. Um, obviously, significant strike numbers and all that sort of stuff is a little weird because it's just like some guy in a com- some guy behind a computer just pushing buttons for you know strike landed significant strike whatever so you can't really that's why they call them unofficial numbers so you because you can't really count on them as being like fully legit real things but i this time i do agree that sean definitely landed more of the harder stuff and Piotr jan while he was able to get takedowns and able to get a bit of top control time um he wasn't able to get a lot of ground and pound off so when you have top control time that's cool but it's only worth so much and you can't count on the judges on any given night to give you a fight based on top control because judging is so weirdly up in the air right now where there's like a lot of debate over judging criteria that you can't just assume that top control is worth is worth what it once was and you'll see it's funny you'll see people who were complaining about uh Aljamain Sterling winning the last fight against Piotr Jan you'll see them complaining about that based on Sterling's control time will will be complaining at the same time about O'Malley winning this fight because yeah but Piotr Jan had the control time and it's like you can't just pretend like the judging criteria works based on what fighter you like um do i still think i i'm of a mind where i wasn't total i wasn't like oh well o'malley won that but i also it was close enough that i can't really be mad at it um because again o'malley did the did more damage and my my meathead mind always likes to favor damage I'm not mad at it. Um, it definitely was close and could have easily gone either way, depending on judging criteria and how you feel about what's worth what. Um, and I like to see Sean having a really cool attitude following the fight, where he just went, you know, uh, Daniel Cormier asked him like, "Hey, like, do you think did you think you had done enough to win?" And he goes like, "I don't know, man. I have to watch it again." Um, that was crazy, and he was still clearly, like, recovering from what a different kind of experience that fight was, where he had to dig deep for quite possibly the first time in his career, at least to that degree. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very much like, clearly he belongs in the top five. That's a pretty, pretty obvious thing now. Um, but... I mean, even he was kind of alluding to he should get one more fight before fighting for the belt just to make sure just to make sure that he's really in it and really has his head in the right place. Um, but I really enjoyed the fight. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was the best fight of the night. And I can't really be angry about the result. Next, we're going to talk about Benil Dariush and Mateos Gamrot. Uh, that fight was just good fun. It was a solid fight. Um, there was a lot of fun scrambling in the first round. Uh, a lot of back and forth, which you're, you're going to expect to see with Gamrot. 
Um, he's a big scrambly guy. He loves to do, um, he loves rolling through to try and get sweeps or try and get top position. Um, so there's just a lot of like wild positional control in the first round. And then, um, towards the end of the first round and into the second and all the way through the end of the round, Benil starts to get the timing and starts to realize that Gamrot doesn't actually have that much variety on the feet, especially during the stance switches where Gamrot doesn't really, when Gamrot switches stances, he doesn't have a whole new set of tools that he's using. Um, when Gamrot switches, it's like you're going to get maybe a you're going to get maybe a rear leg body kick and maybe a jab or a straight. You're you're not getting the full plethora of options when he switches stances, so it's it doesn't it, to an experienced fighter like Benil Dariush, who's also dealt with a lot of stance switchers, he's not going to be confuzzled by Gamrot switching as well as Gamrot kind of uses the same entries to his takedowns, and especially as the fight goes on, his takedown attempts become clo- become more and more similar to each other, and more and more Benil sees them coming, and is able to defend them brilliantly, and just land the better strikes. Um, yeah, Benil just does, does great work, hits hard, and is real he's just an entertaining fighter you lo- like he's a has a good style that's relatively simplistic but he's an action guy he's he's not a guy to sit on his laurels he he you know he gets in there he throws hard i mean benil dariush for the last handful of fights it's looked like every strike he threw was with everything he had and those make for some of the funnest fighters and uh so as well as Benil Dariush getting a, a cool big platform win is nice. So we hopefully we get to see him either in a title fight or a number one contenders fight next. And as much as I love the old guard, whether it you know, be Poirier or Gaethje, and now Chandler is kind of a member of that. Chandler being 38, what, 39 soon. Benil is kind of one of the young guys coming up. Um, despite him looking a bit silver foxy with his uh, gray hair coming in, Benil Dariush is actually pretty young. I think he's 31. Um, so he's kind of, of like a little bit of a younger generation coming in, and it'd be cool to see him get a shot at a number one contender's fight and really like we can get this division moving because... A lot of the guys that were the big names from when Connor was around are, they're kind of all washing out a little bit. So it's cool to see the next generation starting to come up. And oh boy, I cannot wait to see Armin Sarukian work his way up because you know he's gonna. And he is so exciting. And he has so much crazy pace and great wrestling. And like, I just can't wait to see Armin Sarukian move his way up because he deserves it and you know he's only going to get better because he's still so young and then Benil after winning gets so Benil after winning gets to have his like Yoel Romero style no for gay Jesus moment um 
and kind of like doesn't even want to answer technical questions about the fight and the wins. He just wants to talk about Jesus, which, you know, in with so many Brazilians doing that in MMA, it's hard to be annoyed by it or anything. It's just like it's just kind of a part of it's a part of MMA at this point. So Benil does his thing talks about jesus and then uh at the end he's like yeah actually i would like a title fight (laughs) he goes you know me i'll fight anybody but also you know a title fight would be cool (laughs) and i hope he gets it soon because he's a great fighter and uh the guy deserves it uh chukagian and furo was just bad it was just it. It was what you expect. What like? Why? It's the piss break fight. It just is, and I'm sorry it is, but it is. It's the piss break fight. Like, also, it was. I gotta. I gotta say, being, being Canadian and being exposed to a lot of French and a lot of French pronunciations over the years, hearing all the announcers. Like, even Bruce, like, Bruce Buffer, Bruce Buffer I understand, because he has to yell it, so, like, you know, you're not gonna pronounce the end of her name, of the French name, like, correctly when you're trying to yell. Like, how are you gonna yell Furo? Like, you're just not, because you have to, like, do this weird gargly thing in your throat. Um, but it was funny to see, like, the announce, like, Paul Felder and, it was, what, Felder, Anik, and DC, all of them would just say Fjord and like not even try to do the last part of her name. But yeah, like Caitlin Chukagian, I always make jokes because Caitlin Chukagian has like the dumbest fight name ever. It's Blonde Fighter. So it's Caitlin Blonde Fighter Chukagian and she's not even naturally blonde. It's just weird and she's not good. I mean, we love good female fighters so much. And part of the reason we latch on to really good female fighters, even if they're not interesting as people, is because they're so rare. And this fight is just a reminder of that. Like, say, like we'll get a few good female fights in a row, and you'll start to forget. And then you need an ass fight like this to remind you, oh... Don't get used to it. They're not all good. We would love them to all be good. But we're not there yet. And we're probably not going to be there too soon. Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady was just... It was quite literally the two of them just exchanging one-twos for a while. And then Sean Brady got tired. And to recover energy, instead of trying to just like lower his output... Um, but occasionally throw back. Sean Brady's just decided to try to do the, uh, tried to do the old Robbie Lawler and just kind of rope-a-dope for a while, but he's not as good at it as Robbie Lawler is. So he just kind of sort semi-slipped a bunch of punches, but also took a bunch of punches. And then he just wouldn't throw back. Like he just, ended up not throwing back for so long 
that the ref had to go ahead and stop it because he was just like standing there getting pummeled where like you watch fights where that's happening like Robbie Lawler is a great example where like he'll rope it up for a while and barely be hit but he'll occasionally like try to throw back and it'll let the ref know that he's in it still Calvin Cater versus Max Holloway is a fantastic example of this where like yeah that fight could have been stopped earlier but also Calvin Cater is throwing back with heat every time he throws back throughout that entire fight and even in the last round he's still trying to throw back hard and that's that's all you really need to let a a ref know that you're still in the fight and the fact that Sean Brady wasn't doing that he was just getting pummeled for like what felt like a minute straight without throwing anything back you can't be mad at the ref stopping it when that happens because you didn't do your job you know at the end of the day if you're not if your defense isn't good enough and you're still eating punches then you have to throw back or you're just looking like you're getting beaten up and then Bilal Muhammad obviously goes on to just cut a big promo for Khabib um, and is all hyped up for being a part of that team. Which, you know, good for you, man. Um, but also, it doesn't do a lot of good for his stock as far as being an exciting fighter. Like, yeah, you got to finish, but you got to finish off of, like, one-twos. And that's kind of it. That's kind of all you did that was special. And then you started throwing, you added in an uppercut at a point in the fight where it doesn't really matter what you were throwing because Sean stopped throwing back. It's not as though the uppercut made Sean stop throwing back. It would have worked just fine regardless of what he was throwing. Um, so it's not like we can go, oh, look, he has variety now. He's exciting now. Not really. Bilal Muhammad is still Bilal Muhammad. Um, he just got a little extra hype for this fight from the setting and from the training and like being like, ooh, I'm one of Khabib's boys now, you know, all that stuff. So that one is not terribly interesting. Kyle Baraglio and Mahmoud Muradov. Um, that was a weird fight that I had hoped would be better. Um, Kyle Baraglio still shows promise as far as his creativity goes. Um, at first he hurt Muradov by countering a leg kick with a leaping jab and then explodes into a takedown a little bit later. Um, and then he started doing what ended up being a massive problem for him and what ended up being a massive liability for what he was doing was advancing to mount. Unless you're really good at being in mount, like, uh, Glover Teixeira is or someone like that I mean Glover Teixeira is probably the greatest example we have of anyone in MMA right now being able to hold mount and be effective from mount because it's so easy for an opponent to bridge and throw and buck you off which is exactly what Muradov did multiple times like Baraglio would advance to mount and then instead of trying to ground and pound or trying to hold position so that he could strike or you know try to create opportunities to get submissions um, he was just kind of trying to ride and trying to like hopefully slip in as a mission or something. But it just wasn't effective enough to prevent Moradov from just bridging, bucking him off, and coming up. 
And this happened, I think, three times in the fight where Baraglio advanced him out and got bucked off. And, you know, it's... It's a problem. It's something where, like... I mean, you see Leon Edwards for a long time. A lot of his game when he was grappling was to hold the top of of half guard and just throw strikes from half guard because it's a more secure position that you can hold on to better than mount but you can also you're also more free to strike than you are in a full guard and there's a reason for that so like the modern mma grappling game side you know side control or half guard tend to just be more effective positions than mount so baraglio advances to mount because it's always been technically the most, you know, one of the best positions outside of being on someone's back as far as jujitsu goes. It's a little bit of a liability for him in MMA right now. And, you know, he got, he got, well, for the first bridge, he ended up scrambling, going for a knee bar, a few other things. And then the second time, he just got proper swept with Muradov on top and starting to just throw throw down strikes from the guard. And uh weirdly, the ref was just super super vocal in this fight, like just would not shut up. Like the ref was like constantly warning for things that weren't actually happening yet, things like fingers getting close to the face during grappling, which Eye pokes normally don't happen that much during grappling, unless you're Priscilla Cachuera and you're like a piece of shit. Um, long story behind that one. Cachuera ended up, I think, I don't remember if she did. I believe she got DQ'd for she was in the she was being rear naked choked and then reached her hand up and get intentionally gouged the eyes of the fighter that was choking her to get her to let go and that's just like that's some scummy shit and i still can't believe priscilla cachuera is in the ufc it's mad uh but this ref just kept like warning and warning and warning and warning about stuff and it's like dude if you've made this many warnings take a point like either if you're making this many warnings either enough is happening that you should be you should take a point by now or shut up nothing's happening those are your things that are happening like no one should be this vocal as a ref unless there's actually something going on and it 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 just reminded me of i think it was a bellator fight a while back where dan mergliata like actually took a point i think from bullfight he did something stupid where he complained he complained about two fighters who were shit talking each other mid fight and bear in mind this is this you're you're in a cage fight fighting each other i think it's well within the realm of sportsmanship to be talking shit to each other while punching each other in the face it's like what dan Mer- like do you can dan mergliata never be put into a diaz brothers fight again because he'll just like complain about them talking shit saying like 209 bitch and shit like that like it's just dumb. Um, it's it's dumb and unprofessional. Um, and hell, even Paul Felder during this fight, the Baralio Mordov fight, 
He said if the ref is giving this many warnings, he should have taken a point by now. Like, it's one of those things where sometimes you'll get a ref that's just like, mm, should you be here? And in reality, he was there because it was an Abu Dhabi card. And so, I think he was a local. I don't remember. Krilov Ozdemir, for one round, it was a slobber knocker. It was chaos, big punches, fun time for one round. And then Nikita Krilov was just like, oh, I'm just better at wrestling than him. And Krilov, for the entire rest of the fight, was just getting takedowns at will and had good top control and good ground and pound. Um, to, and during the standing parts of the fight, Ozdemir had better striking and was hitting Krilov with good stuff. And Krilov was also the one getting more tired. I mean, in the second and third rounds, it was really funny watching them standing because Nikita Krilov was like all wobbly and like looked like he had just been punched and was on chicken legs. But it was like every second he was standing up, he looked like that. It was really silly looking. But he would be like that and then effortlessly snack up, a, you know, grab a takedown both hands under the butt and just dump Ozdemir and get on top, throw some ground and pound. Like it was good stuff. And I like Nikita Krilov. Um, I also like his big, crazy, like digital bear back piece. I think his uh, back tattoo is cool. Uh, it's a little dark, but I think it's cool. And I like Nikita Krilov as a fighter. And uh, it's nice to see at least a half decent light heavyweight working his way up even if he did have that embarrassing loss to paul craig <laughs> next we got the chinbeard russians having like a mirror match with like just you i'm not gonna pronounce their names you got a nirmagomedov and the other guy who are both chinbeard russians just having a mirror match and the khabib related guy is uh just didn't get as tired he didn't gas and that's really the main reason he won and the main reason his grappling started taking over is just he didn't get tired aj jo aj dobson and armin petrosian had a like really bland sparring match where they kind of just would one guy would throw some strikes then the other guy would throw some strikes then the one guy would throw some strikes then the other guy would throw some strikes oftentimes with massive pauses in between and uh aj dobson was clearly the harder puncher clearly the tougher guy and uh could have very i mean you can see on petrosian's face by the end aj dobson could have very easily won that fight if he just decided to do things and actually like throw some volume maybe he was terrified of getting tired you know that happens but um he clearly had the tools he needed to beat petrosian and just kind of chose not to and ended up losing the decision um he also was only throwing punches to the head pretty much and petrosian was throwing like a lot of leg kicks a lot of body kicks and uh varying up his strikes a lot but none of them had the steam on them that AJ's had. Um, but when you're being outstruck like three to one, it doesn't matter. Unless you're like really hitting them hard enough that it's like dramatic. Like 
if Chito Vera, like when Chito Vera was hitting Rob Font, he was getting outstruck massively, and then he would hit Rob Font once, and it would almost and it would almost end the fight. And that's when that's when you can justify, you know, a small number of strikes beating a large one. Is when those strikes that land make a massively dramatic effect, especially when like. It, it, it's the sort of thing where, like, it has to really make it obvious who's doing the, the hard damage. As opposed to this fight, which was like, oh, I guess Petrosian just cuts easy. You know, it didn't it didn't get the, give you the impression that Petrosian was getting wobbled or being hurt a lot. He just kind of took more of the punches and got cut easy. Uh, Mohamed Mikhaev is, he's going to have a hard time with the top 10. Um, he better slow his roll a little bit because, uh, this Canadian that I unfortunately kind of knew was going to lose gave him a lot of trouble. You know, a, a fight that he was an insanely massive favorite on. He just, he was supposed to make it look easy, and Malcolm Gordon gave him some trouble. And a lot of it was because Mikhaev was just making terrible decisions at times. As well as the fact that Mikhaev, while still having great wrestling and great top control, really needs to crank it up on the ground and pound and actually doing damage, because he just wasn't. Just like his last fight, it's just like, yeah, you have the grappling and you have the control, but if you're not doing damage with it, how much is it really worth? This fight, he was doing damage, so he's still, you know, I don't disagree with the decision, but he really needs to crank it up if he's going to have a chance against the top 10 at 125. Um, Man. He was so frustrating last fight. And he was honestly quite frustrating on this fight, too. So, we'll see what happens. Ugh. And his excuse at the end is like, Oh, Malcolm Gordon's like way older than me. Like, that's not a, that's not a reason. This is MMA, man. Like, you should have the physicality advantage to the point where you just kind of smush him. Like, you're 22 and he's 31. Which at 125, 31 is kind of old. So it's like you should have this the speed and strength advantage where you you shouldn't struggle this much. Um, just silliness. And then finally we have Lena Landsberg and Carol Rosa. Really, it's just Lena Landsberg's aging out. She's forty, and uh, you could see that she just doesn't have the same uh, stamina or strength that she once did. And that's kind of the story of the fight. It's not that Landsberg looked bad. It's that it's she's clearly just aging out. And it's a bummer anytime you see a fighter aging out. But um, I think it's pretty clear that that's what's happening there. So that's UFC 280. I think our, take, our primary takeaways are Makachev is real. He is... He may not be at the same level of dominance that Khabib was at, but he's absolutely real, and he's probably going to hold the belt for a while. Um, hopefully, he will defend it more than three times before he disappears, 
And so he can actually build a legacy that isn't paper thin. And then Olivera is still Olivera. He's kind of the same as he's always been. He's a little chaotic. He's a little too chaotic, um, but always exciting and always dangerous. And despite him losing, you always want to see him fight. Every time he goes to fight, you're like, that's going to be cool. And, uh, you know, Aljo's position doesn't really change. You know, this fight didn't really matter. Him and TJ's fight, unfortunately, was invalidated by the injury. And then Sean O'Malley is real. Sean O'Malley is... He is not the level of, like, unbelievable hype that a lot of his fanboys would like to make him out to be. But Sean O'Malley is absolutely deserving of being in the top five. Which is really cool to see, because he has a fun style. And a very different body type than the rest of the division, pretty much. Um, that's kind of I'm. I could go into final thoughts for everything else, but you've heard what I've, my opinions on that card. Let's do a really quick talk about um, this weekend's fight night, which is Calvin Cater and Ar- uh, and Arnold Allen. Uh, Arnold Allen's been on it absolute tear and uh calvin cater's been in some serious wars calvin cater at last fight though he did look really good putting giga giga chikadze in his place um that fight was a lot of fun and he really did to giga in a way obviously not to the same degree he kind of did to keep giga what max did to him just with punching much harder (laughs) and a little and less volume but the, the fight kind of followed the same trajectory where he started slow and really built up and really started hammering in those strikes and b- bumping up the volume as the fight went on. Um, Calvin looked really great in his last one. And Arnold Allen's last fight, I believe, was um, crushing Dan Hooker because Dan Hooker going down in weight was a terrible, terrible idea. 145 i mean dan hooker already looks a little he's a little bit on the slower side at 155 and going down in weight did not make him any faster so arnold allen was just able to just sprint in and outpace him quickly and got dan hooker out of there um on top of the fact that dan hooker's had a lot of wars and i feel his durability may be starting to wane which is a bummer because I love Dan Hooker, but these things happen. And there's no real avoiding it. it happens to everybody. Uh, Tim Means and Max Griffin. That's a fun fight. I like Max Griffin. And uh, you can't you can't miss a Dirty Bird fight. Tim Means always is a gritty dude and always brings the fight. And win or lose, you always love to watch him fight. Uh, Tim Means is Tim Means is just a savvy veteran that's also gritty and tough. So that's going to be a fun fight. Uh, Waldo Cortez Acosta, who is a Dominican Republic heavyweight that I don't remember watching before, is fighting Jared Vandera, uh, fat boy who I believe Jared Vandera used to fight at uh, two hundred five and then just got fat. Um. 
sloppy heavyweights doing sloppy heavyweight things. Uh, Treshawn Gore, who's a guy that was in the Ultimate Fighter, the la- the season with Volkanovski and Brian Ortega. Um, he's just kind of a hard puncher. He's just a bit of a banger. And uh, he's fighting Josh Fremd. Uh, not terribly familiar with Josh Fremd. Um, I only know Cheshire Gore because I went ahead and watched that season of The Ultimate Fighter. And, uh, you know, uh, sloppy middleweights will be sloppy middleweights. Kind of low-ranked guys. And then the real fight I'm actually excited for for this one, other than uh, Cater Allen, is Dustin Jacoby and Khalil Roundtree. Largely just because I would love to see Khalil Roundtree break his way into the top into the top 15. Um, because he has an awesome style. I love his, the, his Muay Thai. Um, one of my favorite fight moments is still him coming out against Eric Anders and just absolutely befuddling Eric Anders by being a completely different fighter and just coming out and being like, oh, I'm Bangkok ready now. <laughs> and just like having the light front knee that he's picking up and things like that just looking really awesome and looking like a completely different fighter and Cleo Roundtree is just like a really endearing figure I really like him um as a person he seems like such a cool guy and you know I mean he got into MMA to lose weight because he was like really fat and depressed and like having thoughts of suicide and all sorts of stuff. And he got himself into an MMA gym and found a passion to follow, lost a ton of weight, and then became this absolute monster. And uh, he's been looking really cool lately. Um, Obviously, he got beat by Ian Kutalaba via Hulk smashing. He was a victim of Kutalaba's Kutalaba at his chaos as his craziest. Um, then he had a decision with Marcin Pracnio, which that's an Abu Dhabi card, and he had never done one of those before, so who knows what kind of factors went into that one. But uh, doing the oblique kick, having the oblique kick win against Bukowskis was brutal, and it brought up a ton of debate about people being like, oh, that kick should be illegal, and like all sorts of stupid nonsense. And you're like, I'm sorry, you're allowed to completely twist a dude's knee into bits with a heel hook, but you're not allowed to do it with a leg kick. It's just, it just looked really brutal. And that's why people started being like, oh my God, you should outlaw those. And it's like, I'm sorry, but some of your favorite fighters use those. Robert Whitaker uses those. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what are we talking about here? Um, then he had a TKO win against Carl Roberson, which, again, back to his old ways. In an, in ways, it was kind of back to his old ways because Khalil Roundtree loves kicking the body of a grounded opponent. Like, loves it. Because he kicks so hard. Like, he, it's crazy how strong Khalil Roundtree is. And uh, against Carl Roberson, knocked him down and then kicked him in, I think, square in the chest like just brutal um and he's you know he's found a way to kind of balance out that heavy muay thai style he got from his time there 
that he showed against Eric Anders and his like more MMA base that's a little more punch heavy and a little more like um, wider stance and a little more traditional UFC, you know, MMA stance you'll see. So it's cool to see him kind of balance things out and just, you just like the guy. I mean, unless you're a dickhead like Sean Strickland. God, Sean Strickland is such a piece of shit. He, like, after Khalil Roundtree's last fight, he was talking about, like, wanting to be a positive influence on people and, like, kind of breaking down crying, like, talking about all that sort of stuff. Sean Strickland's like, oh, you're such a bitch. Like, don't be such a pussy. And it's like, fuck you, Sean Strickland. Like, just, do you need to seize every opportunity to be a dickhead? The guy needs a filter. Fuck. But yeah, a Khalil Roundtree fight, I will never complain about. Um, you got Phil Hawes, Roman Delize, should be decently cool. Uh, Phil Hawes, hopefully he can uh, bounce back from his last few. He's had some like real ups and downs. Arlovsky is still here. Andre Arlovsky is still alive. He has not crumbled into dust yet. And he's fighting the weird Mr. Clean-looking Brazilian man, Marcos Rogério de Lima. Uh, see what happens. Um, Arlovsky has been surprising as of late. And it may continue, which I would, I'd be down for. Um, but I hope Arlovsky is making good investments with the money he's making during this last bit of his run so that when he's done in the UFC, he can actually just be done fighting because there are way too many old heavyweights that you see just falling apart because they've been in too many fights and too many wars. I mean, Arlovsky's already been around for too long, so hopefully he's making smart investments and he can like properly retire and be able to like chill out and not fight anymore once he's done with this last run. Uh, Joseph Holmes, Junyon Park. I like Junyon Park, so we'll see how that goes. Joseph Holmes has like a silly mustache. I don't know much else about him. He just has a silly mustache. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, Chase Hooper is back against uh, you know, an unranked featherweight. So Chase Hooper will probably style on another guy. Hopefully, do a little more effort in actually holding a position. This time, instead of um, what he did last time, which was like he was constantly scrambling and switching positions and like doing a lot of active grappling without actually trying to lock and a lot of like submission attempting without actually locking down the position first. So he would like, oh, I'm going to grab this and then have like no security for it. So it was just like kind of fall up, fall apart on its own. It's not like. It's not like he would grab a submission and then the guy would wiggle his way out. It's like he would grab a submission that he had no business trying to grab and it would slip out on its own. And he did that like dozens of times in his last fight. So hopefully Chase Hooper is like, calm down a little bit. Just chill out. Get yourself into position. Hold it for a second. And then try to get your submission. Um... Because there are guys that can just grab a submission without having the full position that can lock it in and make it happen, like Guido a couple weeks ago. But you got to have serious, like, 
you got to have beastly man strength to just be able to yank a submission and get it to work without having your position sorted out first. Chase Hooper is not one of those guys. Chase Hooper is a long, skinny boy at featherweight. So hopefully he um, gets his pace down and he can use his really good grappling to his advantage um, and not waste too much energy and too much time. Uh, rest of this, Cody Durden's back. He's all right. He's a little... Eh. And Christian... I don't know. Christian Rodriguez. And Josh Weems, who doesn't even have a picture on the web, on the UFC website. But he has a funny last name. So who knows? Maybe in a few years we'll see Josh Weems having interesting fights towards the top of the division. <laughs> and we'll just hear more and more people say Weems. Which would just be funny. Uh, so that's Cater versus Allen. We'll see how that goes over the weekend and if there's too much, if there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. There might, there might not be. Who knows? Um, and if there isn't, I'll try to come up with something more creative to talk about. Um, Obviously, another thing that's happening this weekend is Anderson Silva and Jake Paul. That's a weird one for obvious reasons. Um, God. As these sort of things get closer and closer, especially with this one, because Anderson... You don't want to believe that Anderson is the sort of guy to you know put this guy put jake over to use wrestling terms you don't want to believe it but at the same time who knows i'm sure he's getting paid stupid amounts of money um but i hope that he comes out and looks like proper anderson silva and really gives a good accounting of himself regardless um I get nervous when these sort of things come up because I hate them. Especially hate the... It's not even the idea that Anderson could lose. It's knowing how that would make me feel is why I hate these things. And uh, I want to believe in every part of me that Anderson Silva will just school this kid. But at the same time, deep, deep down, I'm just like, but what if he doesn't? <sighs> anyway, that is kind of everything to talk about this week. It's been a little bit of a chaotic week, obviously. It's my birthday today. I'm kind of squeezing this in in between doing other things. And,
This has been the Spokes and Chokes podcast, and God bless Sean O'Malley for not being a joke anymore.